This week's episode is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Damon, if you're like me, you're constantly on the lookout for the best teeth whitening option on the market. Well, this week's sponsor, Smile Brilliant, has provided us with five important facts to keep in mind. Fact number one, teeth whitening does not whiten your teeth. It removes the stains and restores the tooth to its natural color. Natural colors vary per person, but for most, it's an off-white or slightly yellowish undertone. Fact number two, teeth whitening does not damage your teeth, but it does temporarily dehydrate them. When dehydrated, the pores in the enamel are open and exposed. Open pores invite acids and sugars, which we all know lead to tooth decay. Avoid or minimize acidic and sugary substances for at least 24 hours after whitening. Also avoid staining substances. The teeth are more susceptible to restaining during this period. Fact number three, tooth sensitivity is the result of tooth dehydration. When the pores of the enamel are open, the teeth become dehydrated, exposing the nerve to the elements. As the tooth rehydrates, the sensitivity will dissipate. To accelerate the rehydration and curb sensitivity, use a post-whitening application known as remillerization or desensitizing gel. Fact number four, Caps and veneers cannot be whitened because they do not have pores for the stains to latch onto. Prior to having dental work, you should whiten your teeth, restoring them to their natural color as the dentist will be color matching to your current shade. Fact five, the key to teeth whitening is the delivery device. So long as a whitening product is a peroxide based whitener, it will remove the stains. What differentiates one product from the next is the device that holds the whitening agent to the tooth without interruption. You know, whitening strips neglect the crevices and molars and they slide on your teeth. Saliva will flood the generic trays because they are bulky and don't create an actual seal. Oh, and you likely did not know this, but LED lights are novelty items that add no benefits. You need a high output UV light only found at the dentist. Don't fall for the you know gimmick. If you insist on a light that does not work, get one on Amazon for $5. The number one whitening device recommended by dentists is the custom fitted tray. You can have a dentist make your trays for $300 to $600, or you can head over to smilebrilliant.com and use their lab direct mail-in process for a fraction of the price you would pay at a dentist. Oh, and if you grind your teeth at night, you can also purchase a Smile Brilliant custom fitted night guard once again for a fraction of the price you would spend at a dentist. That's right. Make sure you head over to Smile Brilliant and use our promo code N-E-R-D. That spells nerd for an exclusive Amazing Nerd Show discount. Once again, that's SmileBrilliant.com and use our coupon code nerd for an exclusive Amazing Nerd Show discount. And remember guys, don't be an idiot. Smile Brilliant. Nerds, it's time to suit up and nerd up. Launching Badass Rockabilly Track. Now analyzing potential double cross by co-host. Threat imminent. Time to save the world with some wrestling, video games, movies, horror, and more. Launching ANS in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, Christian. So this past weekend, you went to your first convention post-pandemic, Anime Midwest, man. How was it? 
It was a good time, Damon. It was an expensive time as well. I got a couple figures. Uh, we kind of blew the bank out on them, but it's it's like it's all good. You know, I have you know some new queens for my desk. <laughs> hey, man, it was just your birthday. You got to splurge sometimes. Exactly. Right? You weren't just there for a good time, though. You were supposed to be doing work as press. I mean, whether or not that actually happened is probably up for debate. I have this, you know, sneaking suspicion your lovely girlfriend was probably doing all the work. Um, but you were supposed to be there selecting the best cosplay to be like, you know, photographed with the prestigious, amazing nerd show title. And, you know, we got some really great photos. If you head over to our Instagram and Facebook and, and also Twitter, uh, you can check those out. So with that being said, what were some of your favorite cosplays, you know, that you saw from the event? I mean, you know, right off the bat, I want to say um, this year was definitely a lot more diverse than I think um, previous years I've been there. You know, I feel like usually when you go to one of these anime conventions, it's whatever the hottest anime out there is right now is the one that everyone's dressing up as. Well, maybe during this pandemic, people got to, you know, binge some new shows, some other things they might not have tried out before because it was all across the board. I mean, just to start off, uh, there was a great Revy from uh, Black Lagoon there. Um, there was a great One Punch Man. There was a few others um, here and there you know had some from death note characters all across the board um, with anime uh, but funny enough i think my favorite one there was the one that was the least anime of them all which was general grievous from star wars yes that was amazing yeah i mean just like i haven't seen that in person i've only seen people try that out online and you know just the illusion of the guy being in the cape you know, holding up the puppet and everything, it works so well because you can't really see from any angle this guy actually being in the cape. It just looks like General Revis, you know, and then all his stature just walking towards you. And it was awesome. I know there was like similar cosplay that went viral with a video, like, like I don't know, a year or two ago with like someone walking, you know, as Grievous uh -huh. uh, in a similar costume. And I mean, it was amazing. So it, yeah, it looked identical to that viral video uh, from a couple years back of that Grievous cosplay. Um, it's someone like walking in a small like square um, and it just looks spot on to the movie. Uh, was it similar the way it like functioned as that video? I mean, from what I could tell, yes. I don't know if it had the lightsaber technology in there, but everything else was pretty spot on to the movies at least yeah i was really expecting to have like just a whole lot of demon slayer i mean yeah there were quite a few in the pictures that we sent out but i mean beyond that i uh, really thought it was going to be like 50 50 like demon exactly. slayer and then everything else honestly so um so i mean that's a pleasant surprise mm. though but yeah no it's definitely nice to have a nice mix Exactly. And I think it's going to be interesting, like if we ever get to another convention this year or maybe, you know, when they start picking up next year, you know, just to see what kind of uh, things people are dressing up now as, you know, since, you know, there's been this huge break, anyone could be, you know, inspired by something, you know, new. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, we know that they've had plenty of time to put together their costumes exactly. at this point. So I'm expecting some elaborate shit. Exactly. And they should be expecting to hold the Amazing Nerd Show world title. Yeah, as long as they're worthy, right? So yeah, go ahead, head over to Facebook, head over to Instagram, head over to Twitter, you know, all the usual social media platforms. Give us a follow and check out those championship worthy cosplayers out for yourselves. All right, well, Damon, what are we talking about this week? All right, Christian, this week we're recapping the latest episodes of Loki and the Bad Batch. We're also reviewing the horror films Werewolves Within and R.L. Stein's Fear Street. 
That's right, and we're also talking the surprise debut of Malachi Black in AEW. All right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nurcho swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Well, first up, it looks like Hugh Jackman stirs up the pot on a possible MCU appearance. Alright, so in what's probably a non-story, but it's still worth talking about just in case. Um, especially with all the multiverse craziness happening over at Marvel right now. Um, the reason why, you know, the internet's been buzzing with all the Wolverine slash MCU speculation this past week stems from the actor sharing some fan art by, you know, Boss Logic on his Instagram stories. I believe it was just a picture of Wolverine's claw in the dark. Then, almost 24 hours later, Jackman uploaded an old photo of himself posing next to Marvel Studios president Kevin Foggy at a Comic-Con. This, of course set the internet like a blaze i mean people went fucking bad shit um and i have a feeling he probably knew what he was doing at the time we do know that you know jackman has stated in the past that logan the film was going to be the last time he would play the character wolverine that he's now retired from the character um and in my personal opinion i think i'd rather probably see a younger actor take on the role in the MCU and have a fresh start for the X-Men. But with that being said, I do think the upcoming phase, you know, and just the fact that they're playing with this whole, like, you know, concept of the multiverse, it definitely, like, lends itself to some, like, intriguing possibilities. Hear me out. Like, I mean... (laughs) With all the different villains from the previous Spider-Man film showing up in No Way Home, I don't know, could something similar happen with Hugh Jackman's, like, Wolverine? I mean, do we get kind of a glorified cameo in one of these films? You know, either the Spider-Man film or, you know, the upcoming Doctor Strange sequel? I mean... (laughs) We've got all these rumors that this whole multiverse-like storyline is going to crescendo in, like, a Secret Wars film. That could be the perfect opportunity to see Hughes Wolverine make an appearance alongside the MCU characters, finally. And then once they set the timeline back, you know, proper, then we could get the dawn of the mutants in the MCU and perhaps see new actors taking on the roles and, you know, starting the story fresh. Um, none of this is probably going to happen, but it is fun to think about. Uh, Christian, your thoughts? I mean, honestly, I feel like I'm on the same boat as you as I'm, I think at this point, ready for a new actor to play the role of Wolverine, um, in general. Um, but I, I, I mean, yeah, I, they could totally do that. Like, they have literally an open floor at this point to do whatever they want when it comes to you know this multiverse just splitting into pieces and them doing whatever they want with old characters new characters they could do so much to introduce new things i can already imagine you know ryan reynolds is probably campaigning hard to have at least one moment with wolverine and deadpool in the same film uh i could totally see that happening uh Hmm. during secret wars i mean Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, when Wars, the Avengers right. started, that was what a lot of people were talking about. It was like, when are we going to get to Secret Wars? So, I mean, it's, it, this is going to be a big film. It's going to have mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity for them to really explore and expand 
the Marvel universe as much as they want. If it if it is going to be a film, because it is purely yes. a rumor right now. <laughs> it, I don't know. It seems like it has to go that way, right? It makes perfect sense. It does. Yeah. So <laughs> only time will tell. Also this week, the Book of Boba Fett reveals uh, some of its directors. So Star Wars series, the Book of Boba Fett will feature the return of some acclaimed directors from the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. In an interview with the Daily Express, Tamora Morrison was quoted as saying, We've got some great directors on board. Robert Rodriguez, John Favreau, Bryce Dallas Howard, and David Filoni. Also, we know, along with directing episodes for the series, John Favreau, David Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez will also be acting as executive producers. And though we don't have an exact date, we do know that The Book of Boba Fett will be premiering sometime this December. How many episodes until we get Danny Trejo machete himself? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say maybe one or two, right? <laughs> That's not a bad thing. Because, I mean, honestly, like, he could literally just play machete. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> that would be fantastic. He could be, like, space machete, right? Exactly. I mean, they teased machete in space, right? I think they I, might I, like, one of the Yeah, and, like, the sequel, I think they teased machete in space. Uh-huh. So why not just do it here, right? Like, you could have Trejo just playing the character as a bounty hunter. You know, exactly. It's a great like playoff of actual like Boba Fett here. I think they would actually work very well together. Right. As characters. <laughs> also, we got some news for the Star Wars anime anthology series Visions. So Lucasfilms and Disney have announced that the Star Wars Visions anthology will be available on Disney Plus on September 22nd and have offered a first look at the short films themselves. You'll get nine shorts from seven studios, each with their very distinct take on Star Wars. So we did get a first look of sorts and kind of a preview package uh, during this past weekend's Anime Expo. Uh, Christian, I thought everything looked pretty fucking awesome, but as the resident anime fan, what were your thoughts? You know, there was a lot of styles and stuff that they showed off, especially like from Trigger and stuff like that. You know, studios that we've known for many years. Um, it, it looked pretty cool. A lot of stuff that's interesting there. There's a couple here and there that I feel like are maybe too cutesy for what I expected for a Star Wars vision series. But I mean, it's, you know, it's it's their vision to do whatever they want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hence the name, Christian. Exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for the series in general. Um, I, have, I always like it when I see Star Wars in any type of animated medium. Um, it's an exciting thing to play with, especially, I imagine, for these studios to actually get to work on it. And some of the stuff, like there was a black and white one in here that just looked fucking awesome. Like, I, mm-hmm. I want to see that world. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's intriguing because they're being allowed to kind of create their own original stories. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a cool concept. We also have some rumored casting news for the for the upcoming Batgirl film. So the Illuminati reports one of the roles Batgirl is currently casting is for an actor in his 50s to 60s to play a villain who's described as a disgruntled former firefighter. While it's quite possible this villain could be an original character created for the film, the description is very similar to Firefly, a member of Batman's rogue gallery. So I think the first time I ever saw Firefly was in like the sequel series to the 
Batman animated series. Um, I think it was like the new adventures of Batman or something like that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Firefly is a cool character. Uh, he's been around for a long time. I just don't know if I see him as like the main antagonist for a Batgirl film. I think I would much rather have them go with like Poison Ivy. I mean, we haven't seen her on the screen in a long time. Or if you want to go the route of a character we've never seen on the screen before, what about like the Ventriloquist or even like Mad Hatter or Professor Pig? Gotham has so many great villains that would have so much potential on the big screen. I just feel like there are better choices than Firefly, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I do think it's a weird choice to do Firefly right off the bat. I mean, maybe they maybe they want to go a bit of a smaller villain for her to fight up first and then they build it up. And I, don't, I, don't, I, I honestly don't go too deep on like Batgirl's like solo series. So I don't uh -huh. know if she has like a big history with Firefly. I mean, it's something that I don't know about at least. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe there's history there, but. You know, I agree. Well, the first thing that came to my mind was what if they went into this like very dark approach and gave it that kind of look almost the way that they did with the Riddler. Like for Pattinson's Batman, where it's just like fucking duct taped, you know, firefighter <laughs> walking through mm -hmm. something twisted, like a twisted up version of the character. They could always just make a new take on a character that, you know, hasn't been played around with that much in general. No, I agree. And I mean, Firefly is a pretty fucking messed up character. So, mm. I mean, he's a complete pyromaniac. So, I mean, that would work. Um, it just depends on how dark they're wanting to go with, you know, the Batgirl film in general. It also looks like Lovecraft Country won't be coming back to HBO Max for a second season. So Deadline's reporting that HBO has made the decision not to renew Lovecraft Country. HBO's quote is saying, We will not be moving forward with the second season of Lovecraft Country. We are grateful for the dedication and artistry of the gifted cast and crew and to Misha Green who crafted this groundbreaking series. So reports are that the series was successful for HBO Max, but the first season was based off of Matt Ruff's book. So the second season was going to have to be new original material, uh, an idea that they were willing to first explore, but ultimately decided against. Um, yeah, I'm pretty disappointed in that news in general, uh, just because like that series while it didn't end the strongest had a ton of potential and just like the concept of you know what they could possibly do with another season just sounds very interesting now we did i'm, I'm not going to say too many spoilers about it uh because you know there's people out there that might have might not have checked it out i definitely suggest checking it out but yeah just the, the season finale you know really left on a eh, kind of note compared to the rest of the season where it was just you know bang 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 such a such a great tone and pacing throughout the entire season uh just to end on a kind of sour note and i hope that that wasn't the reason you know behind them not you know continuing on with the series i don't know if it was just too expensive or what um a lot of choices they made in that with effects and stuff where it just was really just felt like something that they could really build off of and grow into something new especially since hbo is now missing stuff like you know game of thrones and stuff like that right now until they you know have their you know sister show or whatever come out so did the finale feel like open-ended for a second season? Because it sounds like from this report, they just ran out of story. I mean, as far as the main story that they were telling, that it definitely came to an end in that season. So there's closure. But I've, There is closure there. Okay. But I feel like they did enough world building to create something within inside this. To tell more to stories. To go on for a while. Okay. Yeah, exactly. 
Like, you know, they open up when it comes to any type of world of magic in general. When you start explaining the rules of it, you know, now, now you're going like, well, what is, what's happening in this area? What's going on in this place? Stuff like that. Like, that, just in general, like, you could totally see this from a whole other group's perspective going through the states and stuff like that. I just think there's a lot of interesting stories you could Well, tell. I could see if the show continues to have such a big following that eventually they revisit it, like, in a couple years down the road. I mean, yeah, they exactly. basically did the same thing with the Watchmen series. I, I often go back and forth on what I would, like, what I even would want out of a second season of the Watchmen. It's just because it was so good mm -hmm. that I would want more, you know? I don't know. Because that story ends kind of perfectly for what it is. They just left a little bit of a slight cliffhanger of what it could be. Uh, and that's why that's disappointing as well. But, you know, it is what it is. All right. So this past Thursday, we got a trailer for Marvel's What If series coming to Disney Plus. I am the Watcher. I observe all that transpires here. But I do not, cannot, will not interfere. I guess I have to freestyle then. A Ravager never flies solo. Yeah, so the MCU did it again. Uh, surprised us with a, a trailer drop uh, for a series I'm definitely excited for. Um, I gotta say, man, like, you know, early on when I saw the animation for this, I was kind of turned off by it because it looked a lot like that Star Wars animated series that no yeah. one watched. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> what, was it, what was it called? Resistance, right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So, but, I, you know, with this trailer, the animation style is kind of growing on me. I mean, this looked like a million dollars. I mean, it definitely costed probably a lot more than a million dollars, but you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, but yeah, this was definitely just a Schwarzburg of insanity. I, I mean, it was crazy. This is definitely one of those montage trailers. So, did get a glimpse of a lot of things that we're going to be getting, you know, with this season. So, um, and hopefully it is like a multi-season deal because I, I mean, give me all the what ifs you can. I used to love what if uh, the comic. You always got cool stories like, you know, what if like Wolverine was a vampire or, you know, Phoenix didn't die or, you know, what if Frank Castle was like Venom? Uh, I mean, just a lot of like interesting creative stories that like really got your imagination going. So hopefully like this series is more of the same. But yeah, though, there's definitely a lot to unpack here. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, we start off with it looks like the you know, the first Iron Man film. Uh, we see Tony in the desert, classic scene, uh, except for this time, you know, he doesn't get captured. Instead, he gets saved by none other than Killmonger, um, you know, which was pretty fucking surprising. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Did they get Michael B. Jordan back for this? Uh, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he really is into animation himself. So okay. I wouldn't be surprised if he like hopped down on for this, but I didn't hear him talk in this trailer. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, like I said, this is, pretty much just a huge montage you know mm -hmm. trailer where we're just getting a bunch of clips of you know everything at once um so it's kind of hard to decipher what's what but i mean during this trailer we see a lot of t'challa um he seems to be on star lord's path somehow um you know becoming one of the uh, ravagers and like eventually like joining up with the guardians of the galaxy so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, we got a lot of Marvel zombies here, which I can't wait to see on the screen. And then probably the story I'm most excited for is, uh, you know, Peggy Carter getting the super soldier like serum and becoming basically Captain Britain. Here we see her like flying with like someone who looks like they're in like the Mach 1 Iron Man suit. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's like Tony's father or maybe even Steve. I imagine it could be Tony's father just because, you know, it, she looks a lot younger and it looks a lot. The, the scenes that we see her in seem to be more in the past. But with the super well, she serum, met Steve in the past. I mean, Steve's around, you know, she might have just gotten the super soldier serum instead of him. You know, maybe that's why he's suited up in that, you know, giant like Mach 1 armor. Gotcha. Well, well maybe. I mean, it's just a theory. Uh-huh. You know, it's probably Tony's father. <laughs> <laughs> she does seem to have some kind of interaction with Doctor Strange also, mm-hmm. um, who looks younger. I'm wondering if there's going to be like a through line with all these stories um, or if it's just going to be a straight like anthology. You know, because we did hear like a narration like by the Watcher, you know, talking yeah. about how he just observes and tries not to get involved. But I mean, he always ends up getting involved in somehow. So, but a lot of the lines felt like he was talking to one of the characters that will be in the show. Especially, it all sounded like they were talking to Doctor Strange throughout most of the moments we were getting throughout this trailer. Yeah, could be. I don't know. Um, like I said, this was just, you know, a smorgasbord of craziness. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, we also see Loki like leading some kind of army. Um, you know, I don't know if he's like invading Earth or what. Uh, Black Widow makes like a, a brief appearance. So does like Ultron and Thor. It looks like they're in like Las Vegas or something. We see Clint like hulking out and then like Scott Lang's head in a jar, which was, you know, very Futurama. But I don't know. I could go for a whole episode of, you know, you know, adventures, heads and jars. That could that could be fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very odd, but yeah, I mean, of course, it's Scott (laughs) who has his head in a fucking jar. Mm -hmm. There's also a moment where Vision looks like he's wearing some kind of armor. Did you catch that? Like he's like a knight or something. I didn't catch that he was wearing armor. I just I just paid attention too much to his face at that scene. Especially when he's moving so fast. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, we do see Spider-Man in a cape. I mean, I don't know if he's supposed to be like the new like Sorcerer Supreme or something. Um, I don't. Was that in an issue at, at some point? I believe that's like a. Was that a classic issue of what? I'm if? not sure, but I I do I feel like I remember that being part of the Affinity like last big Affinity event they had where they did all those mismatched oh, characters. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm actually picturing, like, the Funko Pop in my head now. Oh, I hated that series. Those tie-ins were so fucking Uh pointless. I mean, such a cash grab. I mean, hopefully, you know, this story isn't that, though. The one thing that's nice with this series is we're getting, like, one final performance of Chadwick as T'Challa. Because he actually did record the voice before he passed away. I mean, it sucks, but at least we have this, like, you know, one final performance still to look forward to. But yeah, the rest of this is just pure fucking chaos. So it's really hard to make out what's going on. Um, One of the things that I, I start to think about when I when I'm you know thinking about like the Watcher watching all over this is like is, is he within the TVA's timeline? You know, but it, like if does, would he exist in that world as well, or is that only after the multiverse was broken open? Like, how does that work with that type of character? <laughs> I, uh, Christian. <laughs> You're asking for a headache. I mean, I the Watchers always existed. I have no uh-huh. idea, like, how that all, like, intermingles, uh, you know. But the Watchers been around since, like, the early issues of, like, Fantastic Four. So I- I'm assuming the, the answer is yes. <laughs> I believe there's a whole race of Watchers who, like, you know, mm-hmm. look over different universes. Um, but, yeah, your your guess is as good as mine. So, yeah, this looks amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's just impossible to really recap. Hopefully we get more of a story trailer 
I'm mm-hmm. sure probably closer to the premiere date. That just seems to be like the approach all the studios are taking nowadays. But I'm also fine like just going into this completely blind. Yeah, I mean, Disney Plus is on a roll with all these Marvel series, and I'm assuming we're going to see a like Hawkeye tr- trailer or announcement soon enough. So it should be interesting. There was, I guess, um, the actress who's playing Echo, uh, but like posted something saying "see you in the fall." So I'm guessing that's mm, probably mm. going to be sometime early to mid fall. Um, but yeah, no, I think an announcement's probably coming sooner than later with you know Loki ending in the next week or so. Exactly. I felt like it would have coincided with Black Widow's release, but, you know, with Loki ending, yeah, it's probably coming up like right after. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we got like a trailer tacked on to the end of Loki Mm -hmm. or something. All right, Christian, it's time to break down the latest episode of Loki. Episode five, Journey into Mystery. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Marvel's Loki ahead. You have been warned. You can't be serious. Come on. What did you expect? That was not the bargain. I gave you our location. In exchange for shelter and supplies, you give me your army and I take the throne. Ah, yes. Not so good a bargain. How about this one? My army, my throne. About that. This week's episode of Loki is chock full of Easter eggs. From you know just the opening shots alone, we get references to several things, like the Avengers Tower that Tony sold to a version of Kang. Yet again, leaving more Kang clues for us to speculate on. And I'll touch on things here and there, but you know there are so many, uh, I can't possibly say them all. <laughs> and this just might be a case of me being a WWE fan all these years. I'm just afraid that you know with so many things pointing at Kang's involvement. Uh, Um, in the last few episodes alone. I just feel like they're going to end up swerving us in the last episode, but I guess I'll be fine just as long as it's not a bonerific twist. (laughs) Bonerific, huh? Um, I absolutely agree. I mean, we discussed it last week. I could definitely see, like, the person behind the curtain being another version of Loki, honestly. Um, And that would be kind of fitting. I mean, if you think about it, like, it would be, like, the ultimate Loki. I mean, the Loki that actually, like, succeeded not only in, like, conquering like his universe but the multiverse then because all the mcu shows are like therapy sessions for the main characters the question becomes did this truly like leave loki satisfied and happy at the end of the day i mean even then like if that is the case that it isn't kang i feel like at the end we'll still get breadcrumbs like hinting at the coming of kang but no you're right i wouldn't be surprised by a swerve at all But anyway, besides some long shots kind of establishing where we are with both Loki now being in the void and Sylvie being at the TVA, not much happened before the title sequence. But like the start of a race, things went full throttle shortly after as we were introduced to the Lokis that we saw in last week's end credit scene. That being old Loki, boastful Loki, kid Loki, and probably my new favorite MCU character, Gator Loki. I just love that the MCU is willing to go so like comic book accurate nowadays with their costumes. Like old Loki, or I I believe they're actually calling him classic Loki. Um, His look is really like the Loki I grew up with in the comics. And Richard E. Grant is just the perfect, like, I don't know, dream casting, honestly. 
I just hope all the Lokis like we meet here stay true to their Loki nature and end up like escaping the events of the void. We're quickly set on the move as a giant smoke monster named Eliath approaches our group of Lokis. Our Loki in desperate need to understand where he is gets the group to give him some kind of answer as we learn that we're in the void, a space in which everything pruned goes to be consumed by Eliath and that their only chance at survival is to hide. So in the comics, Renslayer has a connection to Eliath, um, but I won't go too deep into that in case there's like a spoiler there. Uh, but I really did like dig the design of Eliath. I, I thought it was pretty fucking wicked looking. No, yeah, I gotta agree. As far as big smoke monsters go, this has to be one of the most well-designed ones we've seen so far. But anyway, very similarly to Loki, Sylvie is looking for answers as well back at the TVA, now with Ravana cornered. Ravana, in an attempt to ally herself with Sylvie, explains the void to her and acts as if she doesn't know who's behind it all, especially now that there is proof that the timekeepers were a lie all along. In this episode, it is a tad bit hard to decipher just how much Ravana knows about our person behind behind the curtain. She obviously knows more than she's giving up in this scene, but we don't know just how much she really actually understands about the situation. Oh, she definitely knows more than she's letting on. Uh, it's more of a matter of like, how much does she actually know? I mean, you could just like smell her like lies a hundred yards away. I mean, for a show where every single character is lying in some shape or form, she's the absolute worst at it. Back in the void, Loki is still massively underwhelmed by his fellow Loki's plan to simply survive in this hellscape. It is explained that there is simply no way to escape without a tempad, and that even a Nexus event couldn't catch the attention of the TVA in this realm. After taking a right at the Thanos copter, we learn a little bit more about Kid Loki as he reveals that the reason he was pruned was for actually killing his version of Thor. Yes, I mean, you could feel our Loki's blood run cold at the thought of, you know, his brother's demise. Um, I guess it makes sense why, like, the other Lokis would follow Kid Loki's lead then, since they spent their entire lives trying to get out of Thor's shadow. And this child version of themselves was able to do it at such a young age. We then enter the Loki's hideout, which seems to be an underground or at least buried bowling alley. On our way down to it, we get even more Easter eggs with even a big cameo from Frog Thor. I mean, there's just an obnoxious amount of Easter eggs in this one single episode. Um, and honestly, I loved it, but like, I have a feeling there's probably Easter eggs like that we don't even understand yet from like future MCU films. Cause you know, Kevin Foggy's always like three steps ahead of everyone, so. And we actually see uh, Thor's hammer Milnir next to the frog. Uh, <laughs> so it begs the question whether or not Thor was pruned at some point, because I'm not sure if Frog Thor is actually our Thor. So if that makes any sense. Ah, uh, but now I'm totally picturing like our version of Thor just trying to swing the hammer against Eliath, which he would totally just get eaten up in one gulp and dissipated. <laughs> also, I don't know if you caught it, but uh, we do see Yellow Jacket's helmet there, uh, which makes sense since we've been hearing rumors for a while now that that character will be returning in the next Ant-Man film, in which we also know that Kang the Conqueror is supposed to be making an appearance. So I, I feel like it's definitely a clue of what, who knows? Back at the TVA, Sylvie comes up with a theory of where the person behind all this could be. Connecting the fact that she used apocalypse events to hide herself, Sylvie believes that they could be hiding behind the void. Which, I mean, honestly just kind of makes sense. I mean, it's kind of the last place that that 
curtain that you know metaphorical curtain that we've been talking about could be placed in this show at this point yes they're definitely sticking to that wizard of oz theme hard Conveniently, Ravana brings up that the TVA have something called a void spacecraft. And because Ravana seemed, you know, surprised by even the idea of someone hiding within the void, it doesn't take long for Sylvie to, you know, snuff out that Ravana is lying to her. However, with a little help from Miss Minutes, the room swarms with TVA agents before Sylvie can attack Renslayer for her lies. Sylvie, after having stolen Ravana's tempad and prune stick, decides to test out her theory. To everyone's shock, though, Sylvie stands up and prunes herself, sending her to the void. Pretty fucking badass. Back out at Camp Loki, we catch our boys doing what they do best, drinking wine or high C in Kid Loki's case. Boastful Loki being, well, boastful, spins some bullshit about having beaten Captain America and Iron Man to collect the Infinity Stones. Gator Loki calls him out cause you know Gator Loki keeps it 100 at all times. Did I mention that Gator Loki just growls, doesn't actually talk? They all just kind of understand him somehow, uh, except, you know, our Loki. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely going to be some kind of like tie in comic about Gator Loki's universe where we're going to have like a whole like Avengers team of animals. I mean, I could just see that coming. By the way, what Kid Loki was drinking wasn't just any kind of high C. It was the long discontinued Ecto Cooler. I mean, I was raised on that shit. It's it's the sweet nectar of the gods. So it makes perfect sense why Kid Loki would be drinking it. But anyway, most importantly, we get an origin as to why Old Man Loki is here as 2012 Loki poses the question, aren't we all meant to die facing Thanos? Old Loki explains that he successfully hid himself from Thanos, escaping that moment in which our Loki gets his neck snapped for glorious purpose. Understanding that all he does is cause pain for his loved ones, Old Man Loki actually went into hiding and it wasn't until he attempted to cure his own loneliness and visit his brother Thor that the TVA decided to actually prune him. A really great performance by Grant here. It was really touchy when you realize the whole reason he got pruned was because he missed his brother Thor. Um, I'm wondering though, like whether or not our Loki will use the same trick that classic Loki uses to avoid death when his time ultimately comes. Loki with a bit of inspiration from thinking upon Sylvie and how different her quest has been compared to any of theirs comes up with a plan. After all, all Lokis must have a plan. Here he explains he's going to kill a life as he believes it's a living being so it must be killable. The other four Lokis simply laugh our Loki out of the hideout. And just when you've thought you've seen enough Loki, another band of Lokis appears at the entrance being led by President Loki. And by the way, God, I hope our listeners aren't drinking every time I've been saying Loki. I just love the dude with the motorcycle helmet on with the handlebars taped his helmet like the classic Loki horns. I wouldn't know that guy's story. On another side of the void, Sylvie appears after pruning herself and quickly has to be on the run as Eliath is just moments from spawn killing her. In this chase, Sylvie actually has a connection with the beast as she attempts some enchanting magic and we get a quick glimpse of a castle with a glowing yellow tower. So honestly, like the first thing I thought of when I saw the castle was Dr. Doom. I mean, something about the design just screamed it to me. I mean, they did that shit on purpose, but it's way too early for Dr. Doom to be showing. 
growing up here. After the quick connection Sylvie has, she is rescued by our jet ski loving TVA agent Mobius in a pizza delivery car. This is our first interaction between the two characters as Mobius laments that she really is just like all the other Lokis as she attempts to backseat drive their escape. So I literally cheered when I saw Mobius, even though he wasn't gone for like a full episode. I just wish she was on a jet ski when he made the save. They gotta show him on a jet ski at some point, right? But up next, I think we have what probably is my favorite scene yet. Um, with 2012 Loki watching on, we find out that boastful Loki betrayed his group, leading President Loki and his army of Lokis to claim Kid Loki's throne. What transpires is a massive series of double crosses as all the Lokis attempt to claim power. Old Man Loki, however, has no desire and saves our Loki, Kid Loki, and Gator Loki using his impressive duplication magic before teleporting them away. This was an absolutely ridiculously fun scene. I, I was cracking up the entire time as we watched, you know, President Loki get his head thrown into a popcorn machine. It's just a ton of hijinks happened here. It was very fun to watch because of course they're all just there to backstab one another i mean loki's got a loki man right exactly outside is where loki is actually finally able to convince the others to kind of aid him in taking on Eliath. while they say they will take him there there really isn't any promise made for them to you know join him in the fight and actually killing that gas beast having escaped Eliath, sylvie and mobius get an opportunity to finally talk you know, after all, Mobius has been hunting her almost her entire life. Mobius understanding he's been on the wrong side really, you know, apologizes here. And it really seems like the two kind of squash it out in this kind of understanding that they've just been on two sides of this war. And then Sylvia explains that she has a plan to go up against Eliath, even though Mobius is very much against ever seeing that beast again. Before Loki gets a chance to attack Eliath, a warship appears, showing Loki that, like most animals, Eliath attacks bigger prey first. However, how easily Eliath is able to consume and kill everyone on board makes Loki start to have maybe some second thoughts on his plan a little. Luckily, our pizza wagon of heroes arrive and Sylvie lays down her plan to enchant the beast. First of all, that death cloud is fucking terrifying. Uh, but anyway, nice reunion scene. Uh, you could tell these characters have really grown to like care about each other. Yeah, it might feel a little forced, but I don't know. It was a nice moment. We step away from the void for a moment back to, you know, Miss Renslayer as she interrogates B-15. It seems like Renslayer here is really trying to get some clues on how to find, you know, this guy behind the curtain. But B-15 states Ravana won't ever get her chance to see that person because Sylvie has a drive determination that Renslayer will never be able to match in her quest for finding whoever this is. The scene ends with Ravana having Miss Minutes pull every file on the creation of the TVA. Again, it seems like Ravana genuinely doesn't know who it is, giving her a more kind of Stockholm Syndrome type of character, as I doubt she wants to stop who's in charge. It's really, it, it threw me for a loop here to see that she didn't actually know who it was. Cause I was definitely betting on her to have a bigger role in this like grand scheme of the TVA, but maybe she will later on. Well, I mean, it's all she's ever known, like her entire life. So I can understand like that blind devotion. I do think like once she discovers who's behind the curtain also, she'll pledge her like loyalty even further. Cause I do feel like she truly believes in their mission. But yes, like you, I was also surprised that she's in the dark about the true nature of the timekeepers. She really has just been middle management this entire time. Also, 
I don't know, man. I don't trust Miss Minutes for a second. No pun intended. I think once they start to like unravel the mystery behind everything, like Miss Minutes is gonna like shut them down and like she'll end up being like a conduit for whoever's like pulling the strings, you know, behind the scenes. Before the Lokis, you know, take on this behemoth of a monster, Eliath, Sylvie and Loki share a moment on a hill, giving us another glimpse of how far, you know, these two gods of mischief have come in this story. We get a very nice moment, you know, well, if you can put aside that they are just the same person, where the two of them get close and, you know, Sylvie goes on to explain that she doesn't fully know how to feel. After all, she has spent her entire life, her entire life, I have to say this again and again, her entire life without any friends, any loved ones, she's just been being chased by the TVA and been going after the TVA since she was the age of 12. You know, the semblance or even idea of a normal friendship doesn't really exist for her, let alone whatever this brewing relationship between the two of them really is. And I think that really kind of calls back to her confusion in last week's episode as Loki seemed to be just about to confess his love for her. But you know, while this scene tells us that these characters have changed a lot, and you can kind of see that, I just feel like the show didn't give us enough up to this point and may have been better to have a couple more episodes before bringing these two together. That's not to say that I'm not enjoying the show for what it is, I just think there's a lot to be desired in their story of growth. I mean, no, I, I agree. I, it does feel like their connection might be a little superficial, just, I mean, Look at the little amount of time it's taken for it to grow so strong. Um, the one part of this whole scene, though, that I really did enjoy was like hearing Loki say out loud what we kind of thought was kind of going on in his head this entire time, like after witnessing his whole life pass before his eyes. He really believes he's a changed man now, like on a road to like redemption. We'll just have to wait and see if he actually sticks to it or if he strays from the path eventually. We get one more moment where Loki is given the option to leave with the other Lokis as Sylvie gives him the Tempad, but instead he chooses to stay and fight along her side. After all, there was nothing really up to this point that made me think he wouldn't be doing that anyway. Also, the other Lokis choose to you know stay within this universe, calling it their home. They have no you know intention of going back to another timeline. Which then just kind of leaves us with Mobius with a Tempad and a promise to burn down the TVA as we enter our climatic conclusion for this week. Yes, next episode we're definitely going to get some kind of like final showdown between Mobius and Renslayer. Loki with Kid Loki's sword in hand is tasked with creating a distraction so Sylvie can get in contact with Eliath, as the only way she can enchant someone is by touch. However, the monster isn't easily swayed by his efforts and nearly eats Sylvie. It isn't until a last minute assist from old man Loki as he creates a duplication of Asgard that the beast actually becomes distracted enough. With both in awe of the power of old man Loki, Sylvie realizes that with their combined might, they will be able to enchant Eliath. Hand in hand, Loki attempts to use this ability on Eliath. Old man Loki, not able to hold off Eliath forever, accepts his glorious purpose and is consumed by the beast. Before Eliath can get to our Lokis, the enchanting spell actually works, and a doorway is opened where we are able to see the home and probably final location for this season of Loki. This was hands down like one of my favorite moments of the series so far. I mean, classic Loki doing the right thing, like finding his purpose. Uh, I also think like he's going to end up inspiring our Loki to like power up and tap into abilities he didn't even realize he was capable of, which might end up not being such a 
great they got asleep, but I mean, anyway, an amazing moment. Classic Loki dying on his feet like a true warrior, laughing in the face of death. It doesn't get better than that. While I will say I really, really, really enjoyed this episode, I still feel like this show is a bit too short for what they're doing and and you know this is something that we've been saying since episode two there's really a lot here that they're trying to accomplish with this show and maybe with like even just two more episodes it would feel a little bit better or to even paraphrase loki be a glorious experience for the viewer this show has been spot on with its characters acting effects all of that and i just wish they wouldn't pigeonhole themselves when it comes to character development we saw this kind of with falcon and winter soldier as well at the end of the day this still you know really fits well into the marvel universe that they've created um, and maybe they have a bigger picture in mind that i'm just not seeing yet and they're saving some of those story beats for that but at the same time like with this episode we get loki admitting that he has become a changed man and so i have to believe in the journey he's had in this season alone and it seems just a tad bit rushed in that regard. I agree. It would be nice to have like at least two more episodes to do a little more character work, making those bonds feel a little more, I don't know, organic and stronger. But with that being said, at the end of the day, I'm sure this short like episode count has more to do with like cost and budget than anything. I mean, yeah, it's Disney and they have all the money in the world, but these episodes have to be insanely expensive. Now knowing that the fans reactions have been overall positive, positive so far hopefully the next coming like series will have a larger episode count because i definitely feel like it's been a detriment to the story but with all that being said i mean loki has been super fucking entertaining so i mean i don't have much to complain about i mean i think this past episode was probably my favorite so far and i can't wait to see like how they tie all this up in the finale because it definitely feels like they're doing a lot of legwork with this series and setting up some huge things for the mcu's future but all right with all that said that does it for loki this week i know that we are both excited to get to next week's episode and see the conclusion and hopefully see kang it's gotta be kang at this point it can't possibly any be anyone else right or or it is and i will be kind of disappointed but oh well <laughs> today's podcast is presented by podgo hey if you're a fellow podcaster let me tell you about podgo Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerd sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Damon, it's time for some Bad Batch talk. We're talking episode 10, Common Ground. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Star Wars, The Bad Batch Ahead. You have been warned. How'd you know to do that? It's a strategy game. I'm good at strategy. Hmm. How good? Enough to uh, win a few matches for some money? Depends. What's my cut? Huh. 30%. 60. 
So after the last two like jam-packed episodes where we had big returns and revelations, this definitely felt much more like a filler episode. But I don't think that's necessarily a problem, especially if the series has a higher episode account. You know, as long as the show's entertaining, I understand like wanting to pace yourself as a storyteller. If you have an earth-shattering event like every week, the audience will eventually become numb after a while. So we start off this episode at Planet Raxus, where we meet up with the Separatist-aligned Senator Ava Singh, who's torn about giving a speech about how the Empire's presence should be welcome on the planet. This is obviously a speech he's being forced to give. And after starting to do what he was told, he has a quick change of heart. He decides to do what's right, denouncing the Empire and trying to rally his citizens against them. He's quickly carried off and imprisoned by the clone troopers. Uh, this was a nice glimpse of what it probably looks like across the galaxy with the Empire like establishing the regime. I don't know. Um, I hope we get more of this though. Yeah, it was definitely a weird change of pace compared to all these other episodes we've gotten. Like, I definitely didn't expect to start off in what seemed like, you know, this very, like, political stance of a character in, in the beginning of a Bad Batch episode. It definitely just felt like we were taken somewhere completely different uh, compared to normal in these episodes. And I, I thought it was cool. I thought it was an interesting opening. All right, so back on Pantora, Sid has a new job for the Bad Batch, which is rescue the Senator, of course. Uh, Hunter has a big problem with this since the Senator is a Separatist who, of course, they fought against all those years during the Clone Wars. Uh, he eventually begrudgingly takes on the job as Sid points out that the Batch is still in her debt. They do decide to leave Omega behind because they feel like a Separatist planet is way too dangerous to take Omega to. Um, of course, Omega is extremely upset by this. And honestly, like, I have to agree with her here. Like, what else does she need to do to, like, prove herself to the Batch? I mean, she's saved their asses just as much as they've, like, saved her at this point. Also, like, I thought it was weird that after the last two episodes, they would leave her alone unprotected. I'm wondering if this episode, like, was originally supposed to air earlier on in the season. Because something just felt off about that choice. So the rest of the episode is really the Bad Batch rescuing the Senator, showing off their prowess and their superiority against the other clones. I mean, pretty much they go full stealth mode here. I do like that during all this, they have their blaster set to stun, really showing like some compassion to their fellow clones, knowing that they're being controlled by these chips. Um, I don't know. It was a fun little mission. We also kind of see Hunter realize that the Senator is trying to do what's best for his people, especially when they end up having to convince the Senator to leave um, his people behind and, you know, live to fight another day. I think this was a nice moment of growth for Hunter, you know, showing that not all these issues are so black and white. So not to get too technical and you know, weird with you know, Star Wars, the, the little things here and there, you know, they pick up, you know, the senator in this. Well, they pick him up. They have to get into a tank um, and they steal a tank perfectly. It's, you know, the ATTE um, and, you know, another ATTE comes up on it and attacks it. It shoots it in the leg you know there's a huge explosion huge hole put in it and their and their answer to fix it is we just got to recalibrate it <laughs> I, I don't understand how that fixes anything there's a lot of damage there's fire there's smoke there's obviously something wrong there but no we can just recalibrate it it can walk and everything's fine um i know that i know that's the smartest guy in the group but that seemed just illogical in general i mean i guess man i just i guess i'm more forgiving with shit like that 
I don't really need like the reality of like trying to like repair one of these like vehicles, you know, to slow down the story. So <laughs> I understand what I you're guess, saying, I but <laughs> I'm okay with that. Like, I mean, R2 can like fix everything, apparently. You know, in the uh -huh. Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> so he just, you know, throws his little screwdriver in and, you know, twists and turns, uh -huh. beeps and boops. And then, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's fixed. So I've been good with that for the past, like, 40 years. So uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going to look past this one. So uh, during all this, Sid is trying to console Omega, who's still pretty upset. Uh, during this, she stumbles on the fact that Omega is a natural at that, like, holographic space chess game that they play, like, in every Star Wars film more show uh, so of course Sid sees dollar signs in Omega and starts some kind of tournament of sorts um, Omega does end up like haggling for a higher percentage of the winnings um, and is eventually able to pay off the batch's debt all by herself so it seems like Omega is some kind of like master strategist much like Hunter or her real father Jango Fett even um, I don't know pretty cool I mean, it's great the relationship she sort of built at the end there with Sid, but that moment beforehand where she's like actually telling, like Sid's the worst, you know, like pick me up type of person ever. <laughs> she's just telling, you know, um, Omega that she's pretty much useless to the team. And like, uh -huh. as you've said before, she's saved their asses, I don't know how many times at this yeah, point. Right. So yeah, I mean, as you said, like, why, why isn't she just on the fucking mission? She was probably more of a detriment to, to them to not be on the no, team. Honestly, get her point. some fucking armor. Yeah, I was saying that <laughs> exactly. before. Like she should be like uh, part of the team. <laughs> Uh, but Sid doesn't know that in all fairness. True, but I still had like a huge knee jerk reaction uh -huh. when she said she was useless. I was like, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually when the Bad Batch gets back, they discover what Omega's done. Hunter ends up having a heart to heart with her. Uh, and it seems like he's learning to trust her abilities and maybe not be so overprotective. Not a bad episode overall. We got some decent action. And besides like some character growth, uh, I think the biggest development story-wise is they're no longer in debt to Sid and will be probably moving on now. Yeah, you gotta imagine they're in the final chapter. Like this will be probably next episode will be the start of the final chapters of whatever they're doing. What There'll probably be a big arc built from the next point on. Yeah, no, they're definitely in the third act. I agree. But yeah, good episode. Can't complain. Good action. Um, you know, bad tank use, but great action. <laughs> Just let it go, man. <laughs> I will. I, you you know me. I complained for how long after the rise of Skywalker about just the ship designs alone. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's different, though. That's the aesthetics. Like, I mean, True. we don't know how the fucking mechanics of these vehicles work. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm sure Filoni knows more than I do. No, I guarantee he does. <laughs> <laughs> Would it made you feel better if there was like a mech droid on board, you know, to fix everything? Did you just Maybe. need the beep and the boop and then you would have been good? <laughs> I needed the sparks, you know, something closing uh -huh. the wound a little uh -huh. bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whatever. Well, all right, Damon, to start off our horror double feature this week, what movie did you see? I saw the horror comedy Werewolves Within. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Werewolves Within ahead. You have been warned. And now, our feature presentation. You look like you just seen a corpse. Well, the roads are effed, and something's wrong with the generator. Which generator? All of them. Can't get on the internet! Uh, also, 
There's a dead body under your porch. Holy! Ah! A snowstorm traps town residents together inside a local inn, where newly arrived forest ranger Finn and postal worker Cecily must try to keep the peace and uncover the truth behind a mysterious creature that has begun terrorizing the community. This was directed by Josh Rubin, written by Mishnah Wolf, and stars Sam Richardson and Milana Weintraub. So Werewolves Within, which is very loosely based on a Ubisoft multiplayer VR game from 2016, is a charming whodunit horror comedy that will have you laughing out loud a whole lot more than it will ever have you shrieking in terror. But even for this hardened horror fan, it was still a good time. Beaverfield's new park ranger Finn, played by Sam Richardson, is forced to solve a murder that might involve a werewolf while trapped in a snowstorm in a bed and breakfast with a group of quirky neighbors who happen to be bickering over the possible installation of a pipeline through their town. So director Josh Rubens delivers an energetic, fun ride driven by memorable characters and unforgettable dialogue. Rubens does a wonderful job of turning the tension amongst the neighbors into paranoia as the mystery slowly unfolds. Sam Richardson's too nice of a guy Finn is both lovable and the perfect contrast to the absurdity of the townspeople. I mean, you find yourself really rooting for both him and the town's mail carrier, Cecily, played by Milana Weintraub, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, as they try to navigate the insanity of the situation. The film is ripe with social commentary, which is great, but like due to the over-the-top nature of the supporting cast, it does have to balance a fine line at times between like satire and parody. While I loved all the zany characters in this movie, I mean, Finn and Cecily are the only ones that really feel like grounded in reality. The rest of the cast are more or less just kind of like caricatures. I mean, they're hilarious, don't get me wrong, but in the long run, you're not gonna get too invested in them. But speaking of balancing, um, as I hinted at the beginning, uh, this is definitely more of a comedy than it is a horror film. And while for the most part, I really enjoyed Werewolves Within, I did find myself wishing Rubens like turned up the horror a couple notches during like, you know, certain scenes. I think it would have overall added to not only like the suspense of the film, but to the comedy as it would have worked as the perfect like juxtaposition of just the ridiculousness of it all. However, without saying too much, I did appreciate them not taking the easy way out when it came to the story. And I don't want to get into spoilers, especially due to this being a murder mystery. But like, there is definitely a certain point close to the third act where I could have seen the film playing out in rather unsatisfying fashion, especially due to like the themes that they were playing with. So I was relieved when that wasn't the case at all. I know this is cryptic, but I want you to check out this film and fully enjoy it for yourself. So I apologize. So, I mean, with that being said, I believe Werewolves Within has something for everyone. It's genuinely a funny film with heart, filled with outrageously bad people doing awful things, but it still manages to deliver a message of hope and the importance of, you know, being a good neighbor. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna give the film a B. Definitely check it out. It's currently streaming on VOD. All right, Christian, you also saw a horror film this week. That's right, I watched R.L. Stein's Fear Street, Part 1, 1994. Warning, spoiler alert. Spoilers for Fear Street, 1994 ahead. You have been warned. Another shady side tragedy. Fits the narrative, right? 
Sarah fears that. Christ, not you too. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. A circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter an ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shady Side. Part one of this three-week event caught my interest, so I thought I'd check it out for our listeners. And now after watching it, I can say I kind of lost interest for the entire trilogy as a whole, you know, without even seeing the next two films. But allow me to elaborate some. Fear Street 1994 starts off with a pretty decent, you know, classic horror film First Kill starring Maya Hawke from Stranger Things Season 3, but unfortunately doesn't really excel past its opening kill. I think they had a lot of great ideas probably on paper, but during execution of, you know, really putting this all together, they decided let's just fucking do all our ideas, whether they're cohesive or not. Fear Street attempts to be that kind of like modern take on classic horror films where it knows what it is, but instead of, you know, putting a clever spin on it or, you know, giving a change to your expectations, the film hits you over the head with the most predictable choices it can make, and it all happens at a breakneck pace that leaves no room for any sense of horror or tension. Honestly, the pacing was so quick it didn't even feel like the score could keep up with what these characters were doing. And if I could actually just take a quick moment to talk about this score, I mean, my god, the licensing budget on this movie must have been massive. Each character getting their own songs that portray every emotion or thought they could possibly be having. You know, it was like every two minutes a new 90s hit started playing. And while in films like Guardians of the Galaxy, the music is used to kind of like amplify the scenes and, you know, add some like levity to whatever's going on here in this film, it just, I don't know. It was all just a distraction for me the entire time. Like, I'm not really sure who this film had in mind when they were putting it together. Because you would think uh, the target audience is horror veterans or something like that with a style like this. But at like every moment they could, they made sure to let you know how and what every character was feeling and walked you through the story like you were incapable of following what was going on. And on top of that, the opening title sequence alone feels like it spoils the entire trilogy by showing you everything that's going to go down over these three films. I mean, I don't want to sit here and crap all over it all day. I think there were some, you know, cool things here and there, some cool choices with the kills and stuff like that. But all this film really needed was someone to actually just rein it all in and make it something that felt at least cohesive as a story. Well, Damon, I honestly have to say I'm leaving this next part all up to you if you want to actually watch it, you know, because I'm giving this film a D. You know, it had poor pacing, it had a bad plot, and maybe just way too many tunes at this point. I mean, I'm thinking if they had put as much effort into the script as they did the score, this film would probably be at least at a B grade for me. Just so many damn songs. But enough about all that, let's move on to wrestling. Well, uh, the lights are out as we can all see. And wait a minute. What the? Oh my God! God Almighty, what a kick right to Arn Anderson's face. All right, Christian, we just finished watching AEW's Road Rager, and we had a huge surprise with the debut of Tommy End, a.k.a. Malachi Black. 
Christian, what was your reaction? I was actually genuinely surprised because I thought he had a 90 day no compete clause. So right? <laughs> here he is in AEW um, kicking people in the face. <laughs> um, and I haven't had a chance to look at it. I was like, it's it hasn't mm-hmm. been 90 days since he's been released, no. right? <laughs> I don't believe so. So, yeah, that's crazy because he got released with Braun, correct? That whole exactly. group. Which, so, you know, it, it was only like a month yeah. ago. <laughs> so maybe his contract was up also and they just didn't renew. Maybe. Maybe that's I it. I don't know how that works. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe they worked out some deal with Zelina, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> maybe they worked out some deal with Zelina, you know, like, you know, waving the 90 days is kind of a signing bonus for her. Um it was like just two days ago where he was doing an interview stating like, yeah, I'm just going to focus on my wrestling school I want to build and all this stuff. Like, it really felt like he had a good amount of time before we would ever see him back in the ring. And here he is. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I thought it was at least like the beginning of fall. You know, I figured it'd be sometime exactly. after like all out. So but I, I mean, it's a nice surprise regardless. And Jesus Christ, exactly. it's someone new for Cody to fucking wrestle against because I'm over this yes. QT Marshall <laughs> shit. Um, and that feels like that's been put to bed, you know, tonight and everything with the strap match. Mm-hmm. Um, they teased it, you know, during that match. They had the lights go out briefly. Everyone kind of looked around confused. I honestly assumed it was just more AEW production issues. <laughs> um, you know, at first I was like, okay, well, you know, someone's coming out and then no one showed up. I was like, all right, well, it is AEW. Um, and I have to say overall, the episode was very well produced. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, it, it, it took a little time to get used to like the placement of the camera now, since we're back to like the old, you know, placement of the hard cam and everything. And overall, I think it actually helped the product. It felt like much tighter, like their shot selection and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so um, yeah, but no, back to, you know, Malachi Black. I thought it was a great fucking moment. Um, I love surprises like this. I'm, I feel like wrestling's gotten away from big surprises at times. Mm-hmm. It feels like AEW's trying to bring them back. Uh, I love the lights out gimmick. You could tell the crowd was just like genuinely like shocked. Um, you know, huge reaction. Uh, <laughs> that was a weird choice to have Arn in there. Um, cause I was uh-huh. like, what, what is he doing here? Cutting a promo. <laughs> What's this about? I thought he was going to announce like a, another match for his son or something like that. Uh, oh. But it was a nice touch, you know, get the sympathy for Cody right away by having, you know, Malachi, you know, kick, you know, his mentor right in the fucking face. Uh, and then Cody, for some reason, just stood there talking to Malachi, not expecting the kick, you know, but whatever. It is what it is. I, I, you know, uh. I guess Cody's just that naive. I mean, I was like. He just kicked your mentor in the head, right? This, you know, 60 some year old man. Why do you think he's not going to kick you in the head? Um, uh-huh. I don't know. I guess he was so in awe. He just didn't see it coming for some reason. Uh, but it seems like, you know, the start of a new feud. And I'm all for it. I liked the new look. Uh, he's got kind of like, a, I guess, a zombie type deal going on around his eye. Um, he's got a contact lens and everything. I don't know if that's like his homage to that horrible WWE angle he did where he got his eye put out, um, you know, and wore a patch and then like it went nowhere. Uh, maybe it's uh. <laughs> maybe it's just like a scar to remind him of, you know, WWE's like horrible bookings. Um but yeah, no, I, I thought it was well done. 
No, um, and I feel like having Cody be his first match I, will be amazing. I, the story that they'll build and build at him as a character will at least give us an idea of what they're going to do with him. Like, how supernatural is he going to be? Is he going to be kind of like almost their undertaker at this they point? they fucking full on vampire with him. <laughs> I want him to have the whole fucking, you know, you know, uh, rising from the coffin bit that he had in NXT that, you know, the main uh-huh. roster ended up botching. Uh, you know, I think he had it for maybe a couple months and then eventually became so watered down. He didn't do it anymore. You remember they like added a stupid, like a, like creaking effect to it after, you know, a little bit. It's just as bad as Ricochet's bullet. And then they (laughs) they eventually got rid of his theme song, which totally, I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, they started to like water down the gimmick right away. It felt like though, Mm -hmm. um, because it's all about presentation. Usually it's WWE's wheelhouse, but but eventually they just like stripped it all away. Um, you know, I, and I understand like part of the, the the theme music lasted only a couple months. Right. But, but that was like more of a copyright issue. Probably. You know? They didn't have full ownership. So whatever. Yeah, and that music was fantastic. Hopefully fucking mm-hmm. Tony Khan could go and purchase it. Right. Yeah, you know, that would be nice. Or get fucking like, I don't know, like Metallica <laughs> or something. You think that would fit, you know, this character. Fucking Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? Typo negative. I think they could do some typo negative and it would fit. Well. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, no. So I hope they go all in with the gimmick. No pun intended, because um, I love that aspect of the character. Like, I don't need him talking that much. He could be fucking silent and, you know, just lethal as all hell. But don't go, like, too over the top. I don't want him, like, teleporting <laughs> and shit. They're so- or talking to puppets. True. <laughs> you don't want the fake lightning effects for, for like, Undertaker head? No, no. I'm good. He could just be spooky, and uh-huh. that's enough for me. But the rest of the show is pretty solid. Um, you know, we found out the stipulation that... Uh, it looks like Jericho's going to have to face five competitors of MJF's choosing before and beat them, mind you, before mm-hmm. he gets MJF in a one-on-one match again. Now, do you feel like that's going to be basically all of the pinnacle? But because it felt like they left that kind of open, right? Yeah, I just I'm not all that excited for it because it just Jericho's obviously going to win. Mm-hmm. In some fashion or not. I mean, unless they want to throw some type of curveball and he has to earn a different type of shot at it. But it just seems like, yeah, Jericho's going to win his next five matches, four matches, and then go up against MJF and possibly. I don't know. Win. That means we get five Jericho matches. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. Like a gauntlet style thing, even if it's predictable. Mm-hmm. Now, but do you think Jericho beats MJF to finish the storyline? I want to say no, because. That will put MJF over to the moon for years to come. You know, he'll be able to say, I beat Jericho. And I don't think, I don't know what really Jericho would benefit from beating MJF at this mm. point. No, I. But at the same time, it's, it's, I don't know. It's that hero story and it's a good, you know, spot for everyone to cheer it, and something you can use in promo packages for It is a happy ending, but at the same time, I feel uh-huh. like MJF would benefit <laughs> from, you know, this big victory over Jericho. Um, yeah. And it's kind of a way for Jericho to save face, too, if he has to go through this gauntlet of people before he gets to MJF. Like if he's just, you know, worn down, you know, beat into shit, you know, injured, and then he finally earns his match with MJF, which I don't know. Did they say that it was going to be at All Out or All In? They didn't specify during that segment. Is it All Out or it's All, all In? It's All Out. All Out. All Out. <laughs> I always get them confused. 
Um, I'm assuming, though, it's going to be uh-huh. an all out. So it only makes sense. Um, I mean, the big story at the end of the line, right? Like if you were to have two opponents in AEW, it's got to be MJF versus Adam Page. Like that's what they're probably building towards, right? If you had MJF win this storyline and you have Adam Page beats and win the title, you know, do you then build these two to go against each other? Oh, absolutely. I mean, down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that I definitely feel like if if Page eventually does, you know, win the title from Omega, I'm assuming that match is probably going to end up happening at all out. We saw Hangman come out and get face to face against mm-hmm. Omega tonight uh, after at first uh, the Dark Order came out. Omega and, you know, the elite ended up ambushing them, which in turn, you know, brought out Adam Page. He got into the face of Omega. The crowd was 100% behind Page. Um, He is super over. Uh, This match is white hot. Mm -hmm. Um, So if, you know, if Page does end up beating him at all out, which I could see as a strong possibility. um, Yeah, I mean... I think it's a no-brainer to have him face off against, you know, MJF. Uh, maybe not the first opponent, mm-hmm. but, you know, definitely down the line. I just feel like that's your, your money in this company right now. If you have your your biggest baby face, that would definitely have to be Adam Page right now. Like A year ago, I would have said Cody is always going to be your like biggest baby face. But right now, Adam Page is just absolutely yes. in an inferno of fandom <laughs> behind yes. him. Especially now that the crowd's uh-huh. back, you know, um, I agree 100%. I think Cody definitely lost momentum, um, especially all the little sabbaticals that he took. Uh-huh. And then just poor booking with this whole fucking, you know, nightmare family, you know, drama. Mm-hmm. I just I don't think people are really invested in it at all. No. So I think it's kind of hurt him, which is unfortunate. He'll get back, you know, I yeah. guarantee maybe maybe with Malachi. But um, yeah, no, I, I think he's gone down a notch, unfortunately. So with that being said, do you think Cody gets involved eventually with the Elite storyline? I don't know, because I mean, he's been so far away from everything with the Elite for so long. I mean, he's been so isolated exactly. almost like they don't interact at all. Um, but it feels like that could eventually be big money, mm-hmm. too. We haven't seen that combination like interact at all in over a year. Um, and it feels like they've been like kind of saving that, but you would think that Cody would address something like the super elite running amok uh-huh. in AEW, you know, instead of fucking around with, you know, QT Marshall, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> storyline, I just don't know how that makes any sense for Cody not to, you know, address that situation. Mm. Um but I don't know. I mean, maybe all the rumors are true and those guys genuinely hate each other. Um, <laughs> I doubt that's the case, uh-huh. but <laughs> maybe that's why they're not wrestling. Um, I'm sure that's probably what they want us to think. Uh, but it's just time for like Cody to like get back in like the main event picture mm. at least. Uh, Miro would be a great opponent for Cody too yes. after Malachi. You know, that feels like a no brainer. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Well, and speaking of guys with tons of a potential at this point, you know, how do you feel about Andrade and his performance in today's episode? Uh, it was a big debut. I love him coming out in the uh, Black Mask uh-huh. uh, cosplay. That was an awesome uh-huh. touch. <laughs> the match was good. I don't think it was necessarily like a barn burner. Um, I honestly would have been okay, like with Andrade coming out and just dominating yes. a little more. 
um because there was a lot of back and forth mm-hmm. and i know you want to like feature his skill set you know against opponent who's worthy but at the same time i'm okay with a good old-fashioned squash mash i mean i'm an 80s kid so i grew up on squash matches um you know and if it just makes him look like a dominant like you know presence in the division um I don't see anything wrong with that, well, especially you for know, build up to the Seidel mm-hmm. match. Well, especially for someone who's like gunning for Omega, like for his title and saying that he's going to be the face of AEW. You'd think his first match would be a squash match to just show that he is like upper echelon of the card in general. I mean, they did make a point to mention that Seidel has risen in the ranks of AEW mm-hmm. and that he is ranked number five currently. You know, in the uh, world title picture. So I was glad that they, you know, mentioned that because it does, you know, at least, you know, shows that, you know, Seidel's someone to, you know, be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fine with that. I'm guessing, too, that's probably done to have him move up faster. I'm wondering if, like, next he'll end up going against, like, you know, the number four ranked, you know, uh, wrestler in the division. Um, and he'll just, like, slowly climb up the ladder. Oh, that makes sense. That would be an easy way to like just launch them up. Yeah, I'm wondering if they'll even promote the match coming up between Andrade and Omega at AAA. Um, you know, we'll see. I mean, they barely mention anything at for Impact, let alone for AAA. So I don't know. But then they turn around; and they're actually having like a New Japan like title match on their show next week: uh, Moxley versus you know uh, Machine Gun. Which would be a great match in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm. <laughs> At first, I thought that was going to be on New Japan Strong because mm-hmm. I heard rumors about it. I didn't realize they're going to actually put that on AEW like television. They must have a pretty good working relationship with New Japan at this point. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it becomes an invasion angle at some point and I get those major points. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> But back to Andrade, I just hope he doesn't get lost in the shuffle because mm-hmm. they have such a big roster at this point. Um, you know, if and I guess he doesn't have to be going for a title. He could just be in some kind of feud or program as long as he's on television every week and he's not like wasting away and catering like he did in like, you know, WWE. Exactly. So, um, you know, and they've got, you know, Rampage coming up, you know, shortly. I believe it starts in August. So hopefully that's not a case. Hopefully they have enough time for everyone. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but uh, last but not least, I mean, what about the Young Bucks shorts? <laughs> I, I liked, you know, Beach Walk uh, Young Bucks tonight. They were uh, good. Beach Walk. That's a Daisy Dukes. I don't know what you were what you were watching. I just love that they have like they find a way to become more and more uh, obnoxious every week. I mean, I still think like my favorite was the facial hair. Uh-huh. I was sad to see it go, but man, those fucking shorts. I I popped right away when I saw those. The fact that you know, you know, it's common a street fight. You, you're wearing jeans uh-huh. but the fact that they went daisy dukes <laughs> you know it's they're modeling their style on like you know 1989 uh-huh. Shawn michaels at this point and i just love it <laughs> uh nick jackson found like this strut tonight uh-huh. that i hope he ends up keeping like to the music uh-huh. it was so ridiculous <laughs> it just gets and better over the and top he's fantastic uh-huh. he's such a great heel such a great heel um <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving everything that they're doing, um, and I hope they keep it up. I don't want to see them babyface anytime soon. I mean, the main event was 
pretty much a clusterfuck, but in a good way. Like I enjoyed the shit out of it, um, you know. And I, once again, I gotta give credit where credits due. Like AEW's like production has slowly been getting better every you know week, um, because you know a match with so much gaga on it mm-hmm. usually would be cause for concern when it comes to like their camera work in the past. But they did a pretty good job of like keeping up with everything and like camera cuts and angles were all crisp and it, it just flowed so well. Um, so, I mean, bravo. Um, yeah, I mean, it's good that they're getting their act together, especially now that they're going onto the road. They need to have a very concise plan for each location that they go to, because that can get messy, too, especially if you end up working with different people in different areas. You know, it depends on if they're bringing their same crew everywhere. Yeah, it, it can get real messy real fast. And, you know, it's good to see that they've worked on it, at least up to this point, because, yeah, mm-hmm. early on this year, it's it was all over the place. I mean, even shit like last month, uh-huh. like they're, they're, they're very hit or miss. Mm-hmm. So um, but yeah, knock on wood, hopefully, you know, they're headed in the right direction. Now, do you think the Bucks are going to continue to feud with, you know, Kingston and um, Penta? Or do you think Moxley is going to get inserted back into like, you know, the program? Oh, I think Moxley's going to get inserted back into the program. I think they'll, okay. they'll split up uh, Death Triangle from uh, uh, Eddie Kingston. Yeah, no, I hope. You know, the, the feud continues between the two teams, um, you know, especially since I want you to, you know, end up having to buy that wild thing shirt. <laughs> it's going to happen, right? Like has to. Yeah, no, absolutely. They already had a graphic <laughs> on social media. So it, it's it's going to happen. There's going to be a wild thing shirt, you know, sooner than later. I got my 40 bucks saved up, man. I'm going to get the wild <laughs> thing shirt. I'm going to get the wristbands, you know, the hat. Got uh, this. Whatever, man. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that pretty much does it. We'll be back next week talking Fighter Fest night one. It seems like they're going to be doing a lot more of these, like, you know, special, like, jam-packed shows mm-hmm. um, all the way up to All Out, um, which is definitely a good thing for us fans. Uh, oh, quick plug. NXT Great American Bash. Damn good show. Um, speaking of specials, I, I honestly think it was better than their last takeover. Oh, okay. So um, Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole had a classic match. A classic. So, uh, yeah, definitely give it a watch if you haven't yet. Well, that does it for this week. That's right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours to continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? You can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing Nerd Show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, David, what are we talking about next week? All right, Christian, we'll have a film review for Black Widow as the MCU triumphantly returns to the cinema. And we'll also be breaking down the season finale of Loki. And hey, we'll also be talking AEW's Fighter Fest. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. 
You're programmed to do as I say. I am programmed to double-cross. You're not programmed to double-cross me. If I were, it wouldn't be much of a double-cross. You son of a bitch! I'm in!